Hey guys, welcome to uh, Bandit's Keep, episode 4 of season 1. I'm Daniel, and uh, so in this uh, you know podcast, we're talking about using the combat system, or for the most part, from Chainmail, and uh, using it for original Dungeons & Dragons. I'm, I'm actually thinking, too, um, that some of the stuff here could be used, like let's say if you're running uh, any kind of OSR game, some of it could be used at least for the mass combat stuff, especially the stuff I talked about last time. You could just convert that pretty easily uh, over. But I'm mostly talking about original Dungeons & Dragons here, and what I think is important here, because I'm getting a lot of call-ins and, and even just questions of people I'm talking to in person, um, about the, the decisions that I'm making about using hit dice versus hit points uh, for... Uh, for the mass combat, and this is also true for fantasy combat, which I'm not going to talk about in this episode, but I will next episode, hopefully. Um, and, you know, what is the deal with hit points? And I thought I would just talk a bit in this episode about hit points in general, what they what they mean to me, what I, what I think about hit points. And then we're going to, I got a few uh, great call-ins with uh, questions and stuff, so we'll answer some of that, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, so one thing that I think is important here, as I'm essentially mucking around with the rules, or maybe I'm doing it the way that it was meant to be done, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, in OD&D by using the chainmail combat system and kind of um, looking at hit points in a different way, and hit dice in a different way, uh, as I talked about in, in the, the mass combat that I already described. And it will also be the same thing in fantasy combat, which I might not talk about in this episode. It depends on how long this gets. I might get into that next time. Um, but essentially, um, using hit dice instead of hit points to reflect uh, hits slash kills. And I did have some questions about that, and again, I'll talk about that at the end. But I think what's important here is to think about hit points in general. And I feel like hit points has always been a weird area in D&D. You know, we kind of understand it, I suppose. It's like, well, you level up, you become harder to kill. And if you just keep it abstracted and don't really think about it, um, it's okay. Right? It's one of those things where it's kind of like, don't worry about it, it works, we're happy. As soon as you start pulling it apart, though, it becomes weird. And where it becomes weird is the idea of healing. That's actually, to me, one of the parts of D&D that is kind of strange. Um, if you think about how healing works, uh, especially in, in AD&D and in the earlier versions of BX, which is my favorite version, you know, you heal back one to three, this is BX, you heal back uh, one to three hit points per day of complete rest when you are in town. But that means that if you're like a fifth or sixth level character and you have, you know, 20 hit points, you actually take longer to heal, right, in a sense, than a, a lower level character who has, let's say, five hit points. That five hit point character, you know, uh, might have been at death's door, knocked down to one hit point, and they go back to town for two days and they're fine, whereas the high level character gets knocked down to death's door the same thing, down to one hit point, and they go back to town, and it takes them a week to heal or more, you know? Uh, like, why is this better adventurer taking longer to heal? Do they actually take more damage? I think Gygax talks about this, and I'm going to read from the First Edition Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, actually, I'll do that now. Okay, so I'm just going to read a little bit from the First Edition Dungeon Master's Guide, basically what Gary Gygax says about hit points. Uh, this is on page 82 in the section called Hit Points. It is quite unreasonable to assume that as a character gains levels of ability in his or her class, that a corresponding gain in actual ability to sustain physical damage takes place. It is preposterous to state such an assumption, for if we are to assume that a man is killed by a sword thrust, which does four hit points of damage, we must similarly assume 
that a hero could, on average, withstand five such thrusts before being slain. Why then the increase in hit points? Because these reflect both the actual physical ability of the character to withstand damage, as indicated by constitution bonuses, and a commiserate increase in such areas as skill in combat and similar life and death situations. The sixth sense, which warns the individual of some otherwise unforeseen events, sheer luck, and the fantastic provisions of magical protections and or divine protection. Okay, so what he's saying here, you know, essentially, I think it's pretty clear, is that hit points are not just, actually, I think later on he just goes on to describe it, the meat. Um, essentially, they are a combination of things, and the reason why they go up as you level is because, it's not because you can take more hits, it's because you get hit, actually hit less often. The In fact, the next section, well, it's about three paragraphs now, and I'll read a little bit more. I'm going to cut out a couple little parts here that just have to do with math, but consider a character which who, who is 10th level fighter with an 18 constitution. This character would have an average of 5.5 hit points per die, plus constitution bonus of 4 hit points per level, or 95 hit points. If you ever played first edition, 95 hit points, woohoo! Um, each hit scored upon the character does only a small amount of actual physical harm. The sword thrust that would have run a first level fighter through the heart merely grazes the character due to the fighter's exceptional skill, luck, and sixth sense ability, which caused uh, movement to avoid the attack just in the right moment. However, having sustained 40 or 50 uh, hit points of damage, the lordly fighter will be covered with a number of nicks, scratches, cuts, and bruises. And it goes on to talk about healing stuff. What I think is kind of interesting here, though, and I, I, I'm going to disagree with God, I guess I disagree with you, is that I think healing is where things become weird, and we'll definitely talk about that. Um, but the most important part I get from this is that if you're actually reading the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide, I mean, in the in OD&D, it doesn't really say much about hit points. It just says if you reach zero hit points, you're dead, and you just get more. Um, they're very vague about it. Um, but in AD&D, it's very specific, very specifically stated, uh, this point. And I think it, um, well, I don't really know the order. I think the DMG was the last book to come out. Um, 79, yeah, so, I don't know if that was last or not, but I'm pretty sure that was after the, uh, the Player's Handbook. So, essentially, this is almost, I mean, there was more books on Earth Arcana and stuff, but this was the last of, like, the, the, the main books that kind of describing how D&D should be played, and I think by then he's probably getting a lot of questions and comments and thoughts, so he really wanted to state in here um, exactly what's going on, like, what his thoughts were and why you get more hit points as you level up. Okay, so this is kind of neat, right? This actually kind of explains, in a sense, right? This is his thoughts on it. It's like, well, you know what? Um, you know, you getting, uh, when you're at a higher level, you're basically that same, you know, you, you don't, uh, you dodge better. So you are getting hit, but it's doing less actual physical damage to you. But if that's the case, then how come the three hit points that my uh, lower level guy got, which was a sword through his gut that just almost killed him, um, again, heals faster than... A bunch of nicks and scratches that you got when you were a uh, a, a tough warrior who who went through this whole thing, right? It kind of doesn't work, and uh, some systems have tried to deal with this. Like if you look at like Into the Odd, um, and there's many many systems. This is just the one I was thinking of. They they separate hit points from what they the strength score basically, and what you do is your hit points actually. I think they refresh every like you just need like a ten minute rest, and you don't usually have that many of them. The hit points are essentially your ability to kind of avoid. 
Well, it's not really avoid being hit because you auto hit in Into the Odd, but that's that's a very cool game, by the way. If you've never played Into the Odd, I recommend getting it. It's pretty cheap, and you know you can. I'm sure you can download. I must have downloaded the PDF from Drive Through. I got it directly from them, and got the printout and everything. It's a beautiful, beautiful game. Anyways, um, but in Into the Odd, you basically have these hit points, and once they're depleted, it starts uh, taking away from your strength score. And your strength score, to me, in that game, really represents like again the meat, right? That's the part that takes longer to heal. The hit points actually heal really quickly. They're almost like your energy, in a sense. Like, you get tired out, so then you start taking actual hits to your body. So that's how they de dealt with it. And I've seen other systems that do that, where they have, like, a, a a stamina die and then, like, a hit point die. So basically, you wear down the stamina. And then in those games, too, sometimes things bypass it, right? So it's kind of like you've got a stamina die, which is like you're taking blows and fighting, and you wear that down first. But if somebody hits you with poison, it goes direct to the hit points because, you know, you're bypassing it or whatever. So, I mean, you can add these complexities, which are really interesting, and it does actually show us that hit points can be, uh, you know, interpreted many different ways, and you can open yourself up to it. And I think one of my major issues with healing in later editions, so 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons specifically, which I've played for many years and still play occasionally, is that they describe you getting down to half hit points as bloodied, and... Basically, you're, you when you go down to zero hit points, most people that I've ever played with, they when they're getting hit and they're getting knocked down to zero hit points, they're describing these blows or the DMs are describing the blows as these like massive cuts and you know being stabbed and smashed with a mace over the head or being bit by a dragon, and then they do eight hour rest and they it's like nothing ever happened, and that's why it's weird. If you didn't describe it that way, then it wouldn't be weird, right? If you if you said, well, you know, a, a, a long rest gets you back all your hit points, but you don't actually take physical, any serious physical damage to your body um, unless you get to zero hit points, which is actually something, uh, the group that we play with in person, uh, uh, spearheaded by, by EE, thanks EE if you ever hear this, uh, we made a deck of cards called After Zero, um, which we were going to print them and do for GaryCon and stuff, but of course this year has got really weird. But basically, they were like almost like crit cards. So when you hit zero in fifth edition, you draw one of these cards, and it, you actually take like kind of like a, a maybe a scar or whatever as a way to kind of do that. So it's kind of like until you get down to zero, you're not really actually getting hit. When you get to zero, now you're hurt. You know, you're actually injured, and that's going to be you know a long lasting effect. Um, another game that does that pretty well is Coriolis. Um, that that does a little bit of a different uh, thing. If you guys ever played that, I'm running a Coriolis campaign right now. Their hit points, which they call body or... I don't know what they call it. But anyways, um, if you reach down to zero or whatever, you're, I think they call it broken. Maybe I'm confusing that with Tales from the Loop. But basically, you get down, and you can actually recover from that. It just means that you're beat down and you just can't do anything else. You only actually take physical, physical damage when a critical is done against you. And those can be deadly. They can kill you. Or they can, like, you can lose an arm or lose strength points for a certain amount or break a bone. So these are all different ways to do hit points, and it makes me feel okay. <laughs> Not that I need somebody to tell me it's okay, right? But it makes me feel okay to say, hey, I'm doing it a bit different in my system. I'm not going to look at hit points um, uh, as the, the end-all, be-all. And I'm going to deal with essentially healing in a different way. So when I'm talking about doing this mass combat where, you know, you, let's say you're a third-level fighter... You know, it takes three simultaneous, quote, hits to to kill you, and then you're dead when that happens. Every other time when they've rolled two hits or one hit or no hits, you're fighting and you're bashing them and you're getting knocked down. You're, all this stuff is happening. And that 
one time that they land that telling blow, which is the three hits simultaneous or whatever, that's the end. That's the sword going through your gut. And I don't have a problem with that at all. I, I think it's actually um, a really interesting way to play. I have actually amended, I don't think I said this the last time, so I've amended a way that you can be healed um, if that happens, and you only need to be healed if that happens. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you're gone. And that might seem harsh, but in the scheme of things, it's not really. If you really start looking at the math, it feels harsh, but it's actually kind of the same. And, and to be <laughs> what's interesting here is that I, I my friend Nikki, we, we got uh, got online because our game was canceled on Friday because a few players had internet issues or internet issues, and uh, we were going to get together for like an hour and just like roll some dice and see how this worked out. We ended up playing. I'll call it playing because it was super fun, even though we were just testing stuff for four hours and we did all kinds of fights her her hero was like fighting 30 goblins or you know she had shit henchmen that were involved and we did all these different uh combinations and it turns out that it works out pretty darn well i mean yes sometimes you get killed you know i mean which is what would be anyways but i think that the things that her fighter was able to survive in a more modern system like a D system Unless you had a lot of healing potions or healing abundance, you wouldn't make it through a, a, a play if this was just constantly happening to you because your hit points don't come back. Whereas using it this way, you can go from fight to fight until you actually get that hit. You're fine, you know? And it does allow for these like massive combats to happen without involving lots of healing, which to me, I think, is better. The, it's the way I like to play. Like I like a more kind of sword and sorcery a low fantasy generally in my vibe of the stuff I play. So I don't like a lot of healing magic. Uh, you know, I, I just, it just doesn't feel like the type of fantasy I want to play. I also hate bags of holding, but that's a whole, that, that, that could be an entire thing on itself. I hate the bag of holding, but anyways. Ah, okay, so where was I at there? So we did test this and it worked out pretty well. So a couple of things that, that are noted that are in chain mail that I didn't mention last time. Actually, I'll make that a separate section. Okay, so like I said, we played for <laughs> like four hours. We She fought dragons, which is a whole other thing. I'll talk about that in the fantasy supplements. But um, we did a lot of kind of mass combats where I had 30 opponents against her hero plus 10 fighters. You know, first level fighters, kind of henchmen. I will say that in almost every case, all the henchmen died. But the fighter did not. So it became these like epic bot ba battles where there were just like tons of bodies flying everywhere. And it was fast and it was fun. Um, but on that note, there's a couple of things. In Chainmail specifically, it mentions under the hero listing, and uh, therefore also superhero, and if you remember from my last uh, podcast, if that was clear anyways, I'm going to treat all PCs as heroic in the sense that they're going to use the same rules. Um, they're not all going to fight as heroes, but they're going to, you know, for instance, a hero needs four simultaneous hits to go down. Um, so if you're a second level, you're not a hero, you're a whatever you are. Um, you need two simultaneous hits. Third level, you need three simultaneous hits. So uh, that would not normally be the case uh, in Chainmail based on the rules, but that's how I'm going to do it because I think it makes the PCs have a little bit more kind of toughness. So anyways, uh, another rule that's in Chainmail is that if a hero is with a group of people, so your henchmen, they cannot be targeted directly by any man type. So any of like the mooks can't actually target your hero until all the henchmen are dead. This represents to me, and I guess the idea of it, the idea that like, yeah, your your men are defending you. You're the leader. They're not gonna just uh, you know, uh, you know, let you get killed. You know, the 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 loyal henchman jumping in front of the sword, that kind of stuff, and also the 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 
troops that are attacking you just aren't good enough to 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 to, to fight your massive you know heroic attacks and deal with henchmen. Now the thing is, if something is heroic, so let's say that there's an ogre, you know, with twenty goblins, the ogre can attack you directly because they're quote heroic. So. This is actually useful for a couple of different things. Number one, it made it so when the 30 goblins charged every time, first they had to kill those 10 henchmen, so there was like multiple rounds of combat where there was no attacks against the hero, which definitely allowed, you know, Nikki to whittle down the goblins to, you know, 15 goblins, you know, before they actually started to attack her or whatever, which was very useful. Um, but also we played a few at the end where I, we she made like a quick first level party, and if, if you go by, you know, the implied thing, you always read this in all the different rule books where the fighter protects the magic user, but there doesn't really seem to be rules to do that. And I feel like what I would do as a loose kind of version of this rule is that unless they get ambushed or something and it doesn't make sense, or the magic user runs forward with a dagger in their hand like an idiot, um, you know, I, I had the enemies mostly target the, the, the fighting people because they're in front, right? How are they? How is that kobold running past your like armored heroes in front to go stab the magic user in the back? They're not going to be able to. So I did that number one. I let that. I'm using that conceit. But also forgetting about that part of it, if your magic user at first level, who's going to have more gold probably on average than other people because they don't need to buy armor and weapons, hires a couple of henchmen. When somebody targets the magic user, they have to target the henchman first if, you know, you know again, like low-level uh, people. So if you go into a goblin cave and you're a magic user and you've got three, you know, swordsmen with you that you're hiring for, you know, five gold pieces a day, when the goblins come charging at you, they have to attack the henchman before they can attack the magic user. And the henchmen are in better armor, because they're fighters probably, and they're going to be, you know, going to basically be, I mean, I hate this term, but... We see it a lot. They're going to be meat shields, like literally meat shields, and the rules permit and allow for this, and they work with it. And to me, I really like that. I think it's just another way that you can beef up your party and get that like old school, as as they say, feel with like large groups. Like another reason to have henchmen, even if they're just basic mercenaries with swords and leather armor, they're just another level of protection that you can have around you when you're fighting. So to me, it just makes epic. And we actually did some combats. And again, I'll talk about this in fan when I talk about fantasy. I don't think I'm going to do that in this one because it's going to get long because I have some uh, voice messages I want to answer. But um, you can go back and forth. Like you can have your 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 heroes like fighting the dragon, right, while the kobolds are all attacking the henchmen below. So you can have these two combats happening simultaneous. Actually, the way I did it was I had a lycanthrope, a werewolf, uh, fighting the fighter. And then I had a bunch of wolves come in. So I had all these wolves fighting uh, her henchmen. You know, while the uh, while the hero was fighting the the lycanthrope, so it was it was pretty epic and it was really fun. Um, you know, again, we had a lot of fun even though we were just trying to just test the system. So I think when we're actually using this in game, it's going to be really cool. It does. I will say this though: every time a combat starts, and so if you're these like if you're this kind of person that likes needs to be immersed in the game and you don't like mechanics to ever quote get in the way and you don't like to ever stop, this may not be ideal for you because every single time you start a combat, the best thing to do is just to take a minute. And get everybody's stats. You know, you got to be like, okay, you're using a sword, so you're attacking like this, and they're using this, they're that, and you get that number, and you just let them know the number up front. Once everybody knows the number that they're trying to hit, then it's super fast. It's like, I need a nine, I roll. I need, oh, I wouldn't need that. Well, in, that's in Fantastic Combat. I need a five or a six, 
Okay, and I'm rolling six dice, and any fives or six, six kill, or kills? Okay, let me roll my six dice. Okay, yeah, I got seven kills, so whatever, you know. You couldn't have seven kills on six dice, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but anyways, that's basically how it goes, and it's really fast. And you can narrate it. I mean, we did a couple times just for fun, but you know, you know, most of the time we were just like testing it, but you can 100% narrate that out. When your fighter comes through and kills six goblins, you just roll the dice, and you're like, yeah, I got six kills. This is what happened. I ran through, I stabbed one through the face, I chopped another one's head off, I picked another one up by its arm and whipped it across. You can just make up whatever you want because it doesn't actually matter. It actually allows for, for very narrative combat, uh, in my opinion, and in and, and just a little bit of playtest that we did. Anyways, let me get to these uh, voice questions. Voice questions. Voicemails. And, uh, and if I have anything else to say, I'll say it at the end. Hey, Daniel, it's Cody. I was um, just catching up on your latest episode, and I had a question... Um, regarding like shields and helmets and that kind of thing and using the mass combat rules so uh, like if in your example the the fourth level fighter is going up against a couple orcs or what have you um, if they did manage to score all of the hits um, that would be needed to kill that character um, would you consider letting that piece of protective gear like a shield or a helmet or their armor or something uh, absorb that blow uh, instead of, uh, you know, or absorb one of the hits or what have you. Um, just a thought I had, uh, you know, typical kind of like OSR house rule. Um, at least I use MPX as like sundering shield. So I was just running through my mind trying to figure out how I might apply that to something else. Um, anyway, take it easy. And then on the flip side of that, I guess, um, you know, like players always want to get up to some kind of antics right sometimes they just don't want to run in and and hit something maybe they want to i don't know jump off of a, a cliff or you know tumble down a set of stairs or something to get to their foe um i was considering you know you roll your handful of dice and you could use um a number of whatever successes or hits or whatever it would be um to accomplish the task you're looking to to accomplish um, I don't know if there, you know, I don't know if the rules cover that. The The only time I've used OD&D is through the Delving Deeper supplement, and I basically ran it as like a sort of different BX. You know, we had the alternative combat system, and it was very, um, you know, later D&D. We didn't use the, the mass combat. Anyway, uh, let me know your thoughts. So that was uh, Cody from uh, No Save For You. Two great questions, actually. And, and the Sundering Shield thing and the helmets and stuff, I've definitely used that before in BX-type games. I don't think I would use it here. Um, I believe, especially now that I've playtested it a bit, that it's really not necessary. I think there is enough plot armor or whatever you want to call it to protect the PCs that uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. In fact, what I was saying before about the henchmen taking the hits first is kind of that thing. Uh, so I don't think I would do it there. Now, there is a third... Well, there's two other types of combat here. There's the uh, fantasy combat, and then there's the man-to-man. I think in the man-to-man combat, which is more kind of gritty and down to it and really takes into account individual weapons and individual armor, in that case, yeah, I think I probably uh, would consider using that rule. I mean, I'll have to play it out a little bit, but that's going to be the last thing I do because it's... it's 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 funny. It's the it's the least amount of pages in the chainmail book, but in a way, it's the more complicated system because you need to compare uh, weapons to armor um, to figure out your hits and then go from there. So it's a little bit more in depth. So for that, which is your grittier kind of, I'm fighting you know another knight, you know on a on a on a, a bridge trying to cross the 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 the, the chasm. 
And that's when you'd use that kind of stuff, and I think that's when I'd use that rule. Insofar as the doing other stuff, I think because this is more narrative, I would just allow it unless it was something that was going to require, um, you know, it was going to do something massively damaging. Like, for instance, if somebody was like, yeah, I want to shoot down this chandelier so it falls and crushes the five orcs below it, I w and then they rolled and they got five kills, I would just say, yeah, you did it. You killed the five orcs. Or if they did it and they got two kills, I would say, okay, you did it, but three of them dodged out of the way. So I think that antics are totally fine. They can do what they want. Um, I, I'm going to, when I do it, and again, we only like really kind of loosely playtested, but the idea would be that everything's kind of narrative. Everybody just throws down their dice, and then you can describe it any way you want as long as it's not, um, you know, you can't be like, well, I got two hits, but, you know, this released, knocked this wall down and killed 17 orcs. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, or you could assign it on the spot as a DM and be like, okay, well, you want to knock down that chandelier, I'm going to treat it as uh, you have to get two simultaneous hits to knock it down, and then it will kill all ten of them if you do that. So, yeah, it's going to be harder because you got to get you got to roll two sixes. Um, but at the same time, if you do it, it's going to do massive damage. So you totally could be loose with it. Uh, I think I'm going to leave that stuff for on-the-fly rulings versus, like, kind of map it out. But that does get me thinking. So, yeah, thanks a lot for, for calling in. I appreciate it. Hey there, it's John here from Red Dice Diaries. I've just been listening to your episode where you're talking about OD&D and specifically using chainmail. And whilst I'm aware of chainmail and I knew that the sort of the alternate combat system was the one that we was sort of taken forward for future editions of D&D, I can't say I've got a great deal of experience of chainmail itself. So I found it very interesting to hear about that. And I liked the idea that, you know, it could potentially just be rolled straight forward into mass combat which as you rightly say when you sort of get up to the level where you're like building fortresses and you're you're sort of taming the land so to speak that's probably going to come up more and more often and let's face it as it is the basic system doesn't do that very well but just wanted to say i very much enjoyed the episode thanks very much take care and i'll catch you soon so i i owe you some messages about your um i guess your ODD explorations um are you are you making me want to play OD&D good god I never thought I would think that I mean I I just assumed without any knowledge that it was just this clunky kind of fusty old system that that deserved its place in history but that's kind of where it should have belonged where where, where it should stay as a historical kind of footnote to to what came after but um clearly there's some very cool stuff in there and uh you are you're you're definitely doing a good job of uh, making it enticing and interesting <laughs> you know i'm not a big fan of um complexity and rules it doesn't sound like it's complex it just sounds like it's um nuanced which i think is a good um good way to, to separate the two i'm not playing aftermath any time ever though That was uh, John from the Red Dice Diaries. Thanks for calling in, John, and Andy Goodman from Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks. So these two kind of go together in a way in my mind because, yeah, I think that people, uh, people, I'll make a general statement, uh, do think about the older, some of the older editions that way, especially people who maybe played as kids and don't remember exactly, which is the category I fall into. 
um, or people who uh, started in later editions that were more, let's say, third edition, coming up all the ways to, to of course, now, where we have this massive growth in D&D where uh, people are playing fifth edition and they've never played anything else. And I, a little confession to make, I guess, in a sense, um, one of the reasons why I got into the OSR, and I'm glad that I did, was because when I first started playing again in 5th edition, I started watching all these uh, YouTube videos and reading blogs, and so many of them said basically what Andy was saying, you know, that the older editions were confusing, they were messed up, nobody knew what they were doing, it was stupid, there were, you know, dragons in 10-foot square rooms, and, and nothing made sense, and the good thing that we have these new editions where everything's been fixed, and that actually made me, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, I don't remember it being like that. First of all, I don't remember it being super complex. I learned how to play myself from a box set at nine years old and played AD&D, you know, the first edition, at like 10, you know, and we played, and at least I think we were playing correctly. <laughs> and I mean, not all the rules, of course, but if you read the thing, not all the rules are meant to be played. But anyways, um, as I started reading more and more in these systems, I started to remember or, or I started to realize that people were reading rules and uh, older systems but thinking about them with the modern mindset. If you take any individual rule from some of these older systems and you shove it into in front of somebody who's only played 5e, who's thinking like somebody who plays 5e, they suddenly are thinking, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. So one of those things would be save or die, um, which I know is one of those debated topics that some people don't like. But you have to understand that in original D&D, um, in fact, in the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide, Gygax goes in defending saving throws because the mindset back then was that saving throws were actually kind of like a, oh, you're just letting the characters live. You're giving get them get away with something. If a dragon blows their fire on you, you're dead. You know, so the thing about the saving throw was it was really meant for the situations where the PC was dead. They did something. They fell in lava. They got stabbed by a poison needle. They, you know, they, they got blown breath on by a dragon. Medusa looked at them, right? You're dead. You would be dead if this was a fictional story, you know, whatever. The saving throw allows the hero to avoid that because of the nature of them being the hero. But if you look at it in a more modern sense where people make saving, like in a 5e game, you're making saving throws constantly. Con a saving throw is a normal thing that, that you make, you know, I would say that when I'm running like BX, maybe there's one or two saving throws made the entire session. When I'm playing or running 5e, there's probably a dozen or more saving throws made. It's a different kind of thing, you know. You're you the the trap opens up off the ground. You make a deck save, you know. Uh, you know you want to make it across this thing. You make this kind of save. You know you make a con save. Like they're just used differently, and because of that, people again when you look at the um, the rule in and of itself, you start thinking. Well, that doesn't make any sense, but you're not looking at it in context. And I think that's what I'm learning as I, as I read further, further, and back in the game is that, I mean, by the way, I'm reading, I just get started with Greyhawk. It does start to get a little bit more kind of wonky, especially if you don't have chainmail or you don't know where things are coming from as you get deeper into the, uh, into the supplements. But if you just take the three main books for what they are, it's not that confusing. And a lot of it actually really makes sense. It's definitely a different mindset. Um, like I'm saying, like when you talk about hit points, you know, the, the, the story that I've always heard, and I don't know how true it is, but I'm going to keep saying it because, you know, that's how these legends spread, right, is that Dave Arneson's group hated dying every single time they got hit. That's where hit points came from. It was like, 
they would work a character up to like fourth or fifth level and they would be fighting and they would get hit and they'd be dead. And it was like, well, that sucks. So then they did they developed hit points. So it was like, okay, well, you get a D6 every level and then if you get hit, you subtract a D6. So, you know, the, the, the dice will, you know, average out, but in, you know, so it's still kind of the same, but at the same time, it gives you more room to live. So if you think about playing, um, I mean, imagine if you played 5e and that and you got hit once and you were dead. But the reality is, kind of like I was saying before, you're not really getting hit when hit points are being depleted. I mean, you're getting hit, but you're not actually being like stabbed through with a sword. You're just being knocked and banged and worn down and your, your, your will is fading. That's really what's happening. And that's why things like, again, and these are things that, that I've in the past been like, oh, that's terrible. That's why things like short rest actually make sense if you think about hit points like that. It really matters how you think about something when you step into it. And this has been super enlightening to me because I, I really, like, as I read more and more stuff, I'm like, oh, wow, that's actually super interesting. And also reading all the old fiction has really gotten me more, like, I started reading what they call Appendix N, like, more of that stuff. And not just the big stuff like Howard and Lovecraft, but a lot of the a lot of the sci-fi stuff, actually. And you see where a lot of these D&D tropes came from. It's it's super, super interesting. But anyways, yeah, I think there's a lot of cool stuff in OD&D. I think it's super streamlined, super simple. And if it's taken for what it is, um, I think it can be a really, really fun game. I mean, when you think about BX D&D, which is my favorite, it's really just a distillation of OD&D, right? It's not AD&D. It's basically OD&D. Well, you know, it's OD&D went to... Holmes Basic, which went to BX. So a lot of those same things are there. Oh, that's what I was saying. So there's a video, and I was trying to find it. Um, Matt Coville, who makes awesome YouTube videos. If you guys don't watch them, you should watch them. They're really good about being a DM. Before he started his DM series, I think when he first started the channel, and he stopped doing it, which sucks, because I was hoping he was going to finish it, but he did this set of videos where he, he makes a fighter through each uh, edition. I think he gets to, like the third basic box and then he stops but what's funny is I was watching the OD&D one again because I was like oh cool because I'm about to do OD&D and what I realized was he was reading the paragraphs he wanted to read to quote make a fighter because that's all I care about and he was making statements that weren't true like literally he was saying things like hold on it says you can be a dwarf but it never says you can be a man yeah it does three paragraphs above you just didn't read it so you gotta you know reading through stuff and I think that's the same video where, where he talks about how it doesn't make any sense. All weapons do the same damage, but a dagger can attack three times or whatever. When I get to man-to-man, -man, we'll talk about that. But again, context. Yeah, a dagger can attack more times, uh, possibly in man-to-man, -man, but it can't parry as well. You'll attack last, especially in, in the initial strike, which is like longer weapons go first, which kind of makes sense. It makes sense in context. If you look at it using the alternative rules where everybody just gets one attack and all the weapons do the same damage and daggers get more... But daggers get more attacks, and yeah, why wouldn't you use a dagger? Why wouldn't every fighter use a dagger? But that's not actually the rule. When you look at the rule the way it's actually written, it doesn't say that a dagger, you just get more attacks with a dagger. You get more attacks, yes, maybe, against certain people fighting a certain way in certain situations. So I think that's what this comes down to, really, is these older games are sometimes misrepresented um, because they're not taken in context of the time that they were made in and they're not uh you're not fully reading the rules you're pulling parts from the rules and saying well that doesn't make any sense so yeah it doesn't make any sense you're not reading the whole game 
That's not to say that some of it doesn't make any sense. And there's definitely some parts where I'm like, huh? Especially, like I say, I'm reading Greyhawk and I'm like, that I don't understand. And some of the rules are a little bit wonky that I wouldn't use, um, you know. Um, and also, for sure, moving forward after the, thir- the three books, it, even though they still mention Chainmail here and there, they really are leaning heavily into the alternative combat system. Because I'll tell you what, if you have a plus five sword and you use the chainmail system, holy crap. <laughs> like that stuff can't exist because, you know, it's a, it's a smaller uh, a scale. So, yeah, yeah it, all these things are really interesting to me. And, you know, it's, it's been my fascination. And, I, and I'm planning on running, uh, you know, OD&D. Uh, and that's my plan for 2021. First, I'm finishing up the four different campaigns I'm running. <laughs> Once I'm done with those, <laughs> uh, I, it's my plan. Unless I get this all together and just go, oh, this sucks. Which might be the case, but... I love the idea of it being open-ended. I love the idea that, oh, man, I meant to, well, I'm going to stop and I'm going to come back and read something. Okay, this is the Afterwood. So it's basically the last page with writing on it in the third book or the last book of the three books that make up original Dungeons & Dragons. Um, So here we go. There are unquestionably areas which have been glassed over. While we deeply regret the necessity, space requires that we put in the essentials only and the trimming will often have to be added by the referee and his players. While we have attempted to furnish an ample framework, the building should be both easy and fun. In this light, we urge you to refrain from writing in rule in, writing for rule interpretations or the like, unless you are absolutely at a loss. For everything herein is fantastic, and the best way is to decide how you would like it to be, and then make it just that way. On the other hand, we are not loath to answer your questions, but why have us do any more of your imagining for you? Write to us and tell us about your additions, ideas, and what you and what have you. We could always do with a bit of improvement in our refereeing. So there you go. Those who started and created the game, they knew from the beginning that we would add things, we would change things, and that everybody can use a little bit of help being a better referee. So thanks for listening, guys. Um, If you have any uh, questions or comments or whatnot, you can always send me a voice message and uh, we can discuss it. Because uh, like Gygax and Arneson, I'm always looking to to see what you guys think and what what, what you think might work for this as I'm building up, I guess, my version of D&D. Because ultimately, I think that's what we're all doing when we're playing these games. We're building up our version of the game. And that's what makes it really fun. Talk to you soon.